1: In that presence of being able to see the face of the Lord as He just kind of glances over here, over there, and I know which way to go because that relationship is there. And beloved, when we allow sin to enter into that, it pushes us further away, it blocks up our ears. We neither hear nor do we see the truth of God. Then we begin walking not by the Spirit of God, but by man's logic. And if we are believers, guess what? We start walking in something called religious logic.
0: It's clear that in this life, a walk of total obedience to God is difficult. The enemy wants nothing more than for you to give up because it's too hard, or stop trying because you think you don't need to. But as Pastor David reminds you today, God, who is in you, is far greater than anything that causes you to stumble. The Apostle John writes to encourage you to use the power of the Spirit inside you to strengthen your walk with God so that you come closer to complete obedience and great fellowship with the Lord. Now here's Pastor David in the book of John chapter 2 as he continues his message, This is Just a Test.
1: John has already attested to the reality that, man, we're still flesh, we're still going to fail, but he also does not want to use that as an excuse to just say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm just flesh and blood, and that's just the way it is. No, he's still saying, you know, if you're a believer, if you really know Jesus, your life is going to live in a way that brings honor to him. That guy's is the beginning of the test. That is the moral test. How do I live my life? Now, he goes on, verse five, still chapter two, but verse five of 1 John. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. Let me give that last sentence. By this, we know that we are in him. How? Whoever keeps his word. And truly the love of God is perfected in him. It says in verse 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You say that you are a believer in Christ. You say that you are born again by the Spirit of God. Then you ought to be walking. Throw my we in there. We ought to be walking just as he walked. Here in verse five, he says, the love of God is perfected in him. Now, as a believer, the love of God is already ours. He has poured into us his love. That work of grace through faith is what allows us to abide in Christ. That's what opened the door, that's brought us to him. John is reminding the church that since we are abiding in him, We ought to be walking just as he walked. Beloved, it matters greatly how we live our lives. This is not in order to gain salvation. This is not in order to obtain eternal life. And it's not even to maintain our salvation. It has nothing to do with that. The importance of the life we live is the confirmation that we are truly believers. And more so for ourselves than for anyone else. Because I really don't see your lives. I can see outward motions, but I don't see the inward portion of our lives. And we know, I mean, even Jesus talked to the Pharisees. How can I judge you? I can't judge you. The only one that I can really run this test by is that guy that I look in the mirror every day. Is it real in my life? And that's what I want each one of us to understand. And I believe that's what John is writing that we need to have that within our own lives. The Holy Spirit of God is directing our lives and we walk in obedience, that that obedience that, that just hears his gentle wooing. That's the life I love, is when I can, in the craziness of the world, I can hear that still small voice of God saying, hey, David, over here is the way to walk. Walk this way. And and even when the word says that he can lead us by his eyes. But you know what? If if I'm not in his presence, if I'm not seeking after him, I'm not going to see his eyes. I'm going to be distracted by everything else or distracted by my own flesh. I want to live in that presence of being able to hear that still small voice. I want to live in that presence of being able to see the face of the Lord as he just kind of glances over here, over there. And I know which way to go because that relationship is there. And beloved, when we allow sin to enter into that, it pushes us further away. It blocks up our ears. We neither hear nor do we see the truth of God. Then we begin walking, not by the spirit of God, but by man's logic. And if we are believers, guess what? We start walking in something called religious logic. Looks good. Everybody else thinks it's good. So it must be good. And yet that's not what God wants at all. We have to be careful. We have to be so careful. When we are walking in obedience to his wooing, then and only then do we really have assurance That's the affirmation for us, that the Spirit of God is abiding within us. If that obedience is not present in our lives, then we need to consider. Man, we need to pause. We need to take serious consideration. We need to find out whether we are basing our eternal lives on a religious experience rather than that redemptive work of the spirit of god you see back in my senior year in high school that might have just been a religious experience emotions drive us man and we we can we can make an emotional declaration and two days later or even two hours later doesn't mean anything to us our lives have not changed because we've not been impacted by the very spirit of god we've been moved by emotions to make a declaration It has not changed our lives from the inside out. And so we struggle all of our lives trying to look like, sound like, and act like something that we never became. And I believe that that's the greatest danger of the church today. I believe it's the greatest danger of modern-day evangelicalism, where we are quick to bring people to an altar and slow to disciple them. And slow to tell them. If you're truly born again, this is what the word of God says. This is how we need to live. John writes. He writes to give the reader assurance. He wants the church to know. As a matter of fact, he uses that word to know. Genosko is the Greek word. He uses that word over 20 different times within this short little epistle. Why? He wants them to know. He wants to give the church assurance. This isn't a beatdown lesson. No, he's coming and saying, "Look, I want you to know." As a matter of fact, at the very end, he says, "Man, I write these things to you who know, in order that you might know that you have everlasting life." That's the kind of assurance that he wants to give us. He writes to give assurance and not doubt. And he understands. John understands he's an older man. He's been in the Lord for years and years. He's seen people through the years within the church that are both doing walking in relationship with the Lord as well as those that are walking as deceivers of the Lord or deceivers of the church. He's riding because he understands that this life of obedience is difficult. The walk of obedience is difficult. Everything, this side of heaven is against it. Everything, this side of heaven, is against it. Satan, the world, our own flesh. John gets into that just a little bit, a few verses down here. When so much is fighting against us, we need to remember, though, greater is he that is in me. Amen? Amen? Amen. A few years ago, Brian explained to me about a revelation that the Lord gave to him. It was during the time that he and Maria were on the very verge of walking away and leaving the religion of Mormonism, okay? Religion where works are paramount to securing your salvation. If you don't have the right works, eh, you're not gonna make it. I'm not gonna be able to quote him exactly because it's been quite a while since we had this conversation. But uh, he said in essence that All of his life, prior to coming to faith in Christ, all of his life as a Mormon was trying to climb a ladder, hoping to get high enough that he would be able to gain God's favor in his life to bring him, again, the blessings of God in the next. All of his life, it was that effort, and yet... All of his life, he declared, he would climb up one or or two rungs and he'd fall back one or two. Or he'd climb up one and fall back three, uh, never seeming to get high enough in, in order to obtain that assurance of his relationship with God. There was no assurance because he kept seeing his flesh. There was no assurance because, man, there were days that he would fail. Then one day, he realized that he could never climb high enough to please God. He could never, but that wasn't the real problem. He said the real, the actual problem was his ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. It was leaning against the wall of man's works and abilities. And he came to realize that his ladder needed to be resting on the wall of God's grace. In and on grace, his ladder became securely fastened. And as he climbed that ladder, it wasn't to gain God's favor, because it was God's good favor that attached his ladder to grace. No, his climb of obedience simply strengthened the fellowship he had with God and that continually assured him of the love of God already that's been lavished upon him through faith in Jesus Christ. He also shared that one of the problems with many Mormons is that although they realized that they could never climb high enough, They just don't realize that their ladder is on the wrong wall. And so they live a life of no assurance and absolute frustration. Wanting to do the right thing, desiring to do the good thing, but knowing climb up two, fall back one, climb up one, fall back three. As we move on to verse seven, John moves from this moral test now to a a social test. So, Everybody ready? Your page is turned. You're ready for the next test. No looking around. You can't cheat off of anybody else's paper. Okay. This social test actually deals with the inner workings of how we respond to people. Okay, The inner workings of how we respond to people. Look at verse 7. John writes, "Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, Kind of help us understand this. John is trying to help his readers understand. He's not writing up some newfangled thing here, some some doctrine that he himself had come up with. No, he wanted them to know that what he's about to say is actually something that they've already known. They've, they've already heard this to be true. When John was writing to them about obedience... There seems to be this one continuing theme that we find all throughout the epistle of 1 John. Love for the brethren. Love for the brethren. This is a truth. It's a commandment they would have heard at the very beginning of their Christian walk. Remember, Jesus made that very clear in the upper room with the disciples, man. This is one of the last lessons that Jesus gave them. So you know it was an important lesson. You need to love one another. How do they know that you're my disciples? Because you keep a lot of religious rules? No. The way that, again, the world knows is by our love, one for another. So John is saying, that's not a new thing. That's not a new commandment that I'm giving you. Now we look, and as the church is growing, we have both Jew and Gentile coming into the church, We have both slaves as well as freedmen coming into the church. We have servants sitting with aristocrats. And they're all in the same fellowship together. These men, these women from every walk of life coming together to experience true koinonia. And James even gets into this when he says, man, you see somebody that's rich and important, well, you give them the best seats in the house, and then the other guy, hey, you're not quite as important as him. You go sit in the back. You know, that's the mixture that was in the church, both the rich as well as the poor, the slave as well as the slave owner, all of those within the same fellowship together. How do you get that kind of a group together? Only by the Spirit of God, Only. By the Spirit of God. That call to love one another, that was an old commandment. Jesus had given that to them. They understood that. They knew that. But what had already been lived out in Christ and the disciples for these believers, it's new for them. They're having now to flesh that thing out, what Jesus had said prior to that. It's an old thing, but for them, it's new. It's kind of like if I came in and I said, hey, guys, we got a new car. We got a new car. And you're all excited about that. And after church, we go out there, and I go climb into a 1993 Nissan Altima. And you'd look at that and say, dude, that's not not a new car. That's an old car. Yeah, but it's new to me. It's new to me. So in the same way, this idea of this brotherly love, loving one another, serving one another, this is something that the church was having to learn to gain a hold on. John's laying it out for them. You might have heard this saying at the beginning of your walk, but you need to be certain to bring it into your current life, into your current spiritual experience. You need to start fleshing this thing out of what Jesus had said Early on, loving one another. And again, John gives them the test. The test is a clarification, actually, of, I guess, what we would think of, it's a clarification of the moral test that he gave earlier because it combines both moral standards and social actions, okay? Moral standards combined with social actions. In other words, how do I put the shoe leather On the gospel, I've heard that phrase used before. How do I actually put the shoe leather on the gospel? How do I live this out? And this is what John is saying. Look down in verse nine. John writes, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother, you're still in the darkness. You're in the darkness until now, he says. Verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no cause for him to stumble in him. Verse eleven. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You need to understand. He's not saying at this point in, in just this section. He's not saying you're not saved. What he's saying is you're walking in the old darkness that you've been freed from. You're walking in the old manner of life that should be dead and all things been made new. It's this case of opposing arguments or statements in order to be able to show, again, uh, the direction that he wants for us as believers to go. So he says, okay, here's the test. Okay, you say that you're in the light. And yet you hate your brother or your sister. You're still in the darkness. Okay, this one here, she loves her sister. She must be abiding in the light. There should be no cause of stumbling for her. Why? Because she's not walking in sin. So there should not be this constant stumbling. Believe me, if you're walking in sin, As he's going to give a little bit later, you're going to be blinded, and you're going to be tripping and stumbling over all kinds of things. But here, if you're doing the right thing, then he says, they must be abiding in the light. There's no cause for stumbling. Okay, you're in the light. Next, hmm, you say you hate your brother. Oh, you've got a lot of reason to hate your brother in your own mind but you have no idea where you're going because the darkness has already blinded you. You apparently are still in darkness because you continue to walk in darkness. You see how that works out in what John is saying there? It's a clear, very very plain test to look and see. Well, I know he's a Christian, but you don't know what he did to me. Yeah, you, you can't believe what she said about me and I heard about it. No, there's no way. I can love that. You know what? How much sin has Christ forgiven you of? Then where's our life going to be? What, where are we gonna? Oh, I, I know you died for all the sin of the world, Jesus, but you cannot believe what he did to me. How far do you think that's gonna fly? Not very far. You see, that test isn't hard to take the answers to the test is what's so hard to take trying to live up to something particularly when you're not that something if I'm walking in continual sin habitual sin if I'm walking in continual rebellion I know God wants me to do that but I'm going to do this And you know what? I'm not going to hear the Spirit of God. I'm not going to be walking in the light of God. I'm going to be stumbling in the darkness. And it's going to be evident. And it ought to be evident to ourselves long before it's evident to other people. John understands also that within the church there are maturity levels. Even within this room, there's some that maybe have just recently come to Christ. Maybe some here tonight that don't even know Christ. You've never really come to that saving knowledge of Christ. There's some of you that have been in Christ literally for decades and decades and decades. And There's some of you who've been in Jesus for a long time. The church is like that. The level of one's maturity and obedience to the Lord. It might be miles ahead of somebody else. And, and a young believer might have you know, greater struggles than an older believer in some areas. There may be some long-fought battles in mature believers' lives that the new believer hasn't even had to face yet.
0: Would you like to listen again to today's message? You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David in The Open Word at TheOpenWord.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss the latest edition of the program. Right now, let's check back in with Pastor David for an invitation.
1: I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and the love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. The teachings you've been listening to here were originally messages I shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Do you happen to live in this area? If so, please come join me this weekend for a time of worship, prayer, reading the Bible, and just getting to know one another through fellowship. You'd be able to find all the information you need, the service times and directions too, at our website, theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel Casa Grande link at the bottom of the page. See you there.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close to ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word as well. Would you pray for us? We know the enemy isn't happy about the truth of the gospel being spread, and he's going to do all he can to stop us. Please pray for all of us here that we'd keep our eyes only on Jesus all the time. Would you also join us in praying for the listeners of The Open Word? Pray that hearts would be open to the gospel and that lives would change. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word.